I'm chatting today with Brian Palmer in the recording studio in Beaumont at Isla High School. Thank you so much, Russell, Craig, Neil, and the staff who allow us access to these wonderful facilities. So I'm talking to Brian. He's perhaps best known around Isla for his work on the ELIC, Isla's own award-winning newspaper. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. First of all, tell me how you first found yourself working at the ELIC. Um, maternity cover. <laughs> the, the girl who did the job prior to me for, for doing page layout, I started doing page layout. I, I trained as a graphic designer. Um, so I got asked if I would fill in while she was in maternity leave and she didn't come back. <laughs> and, and how long ago was that? Uh, 26 years ago. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so my, my, my second question here was about, you know, the elix has been going a long time. I found a, a, a copy of an old elix from the late 70s. Yeah, 19, I think it was a single ni- October page. 1973 was the first issue. Right. It, was, it was monthly to begin with, um, but it very quickly became fortnightly. And, and has been. And it's kind of a core part of the community routine. I'd like to think so. Routine. I'd like to think so. Yeah. So you hear the news, but you, you don't know it's true until you read well, the news. Well, yeah, I think our, our biggest competition at the moment is predominantly Facebook, because it's much easier to just put something on Facebook and forget all about it rather than necessarily that's send true. it in. But I, I mean, that's true. Of that, that's the decline of the newspaper industry generally. It's due to social media. Well, we're not going to start talking about the decline of the <laughs> no. right away. No, well, we've, uh, we've kind of uh, bucked the trend uh, quite well. And the ELIC has won awards? Yes, it won a Community Newspaper of the Year Award in 2006 um, when Carl Reavy was the editor. Uh, the, it's an annual competition. I mean, you have to submit for it. Um, and we've been shortlisted a few times, but we've only actually won it the, the once. Well, maybe there's another award in the future. Oh, well, I would like to think so, yes. That'd be quite nice. So what, what do you think's unique about the ELIC? Gosh, now you're asking. Um, just the fact that it's predominant, it, it, it's built specifically for Isla and Jura, that it's... The, the, I mean, you can get the, the other news in the... The dailies or likes of the Open Times, which is a, w- a wider remit than we have. Uh, same with the West Highland Free Press. Um, part of the, the, the job is that on completion or near completion of every issue is to start at the front and go through and check that every article is actually relevant to Isla or Jura in some way or another. And if it's not, could it be? And if it's not relevant at all, then to just get rid of it because it's... I say you can get a lot of this stuff from elsewhere. Um, it's supposed to be. It says at the top the independent newspaper for Ireland Jura, so the ideal is to try and to stick to that. So I would imagine uh, that's the only reason I can think it, it's particularly unique. Can't think of anything else unless you can. <laughs> the the people behind. <coughs> I mean the editors of well, the it, it's, been... it's uh, the editors definitely. I mean the editors are the only things that have changed really. Um, the most recent member of staff down there has been there for nineteen years. So we probably have the lowest staff turnover of well any business on Isla, I would tend to think. Editors are the ones that, that do tend to change. I think I've worked under, let me think, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, either seven or eight different editors in, in those 26 years. But I don't know whether, it, I'll, I'll find out. <laughs> maybe it's burnout. Maybe, maybe there's a time limit that after five years you just can't, 
And and you became editor officially uh, in July last year. In July year. last year, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos to you and the team for keeping the ILIC going through 2020 and 2021. Uh, that was hard, but yeah. It seems like uh, you know everything <coughs> else was being cancelled or closed. You found a way to, to keep things going. That was probably not the best time to take over editing a newspaper, it has to be said. It was a case of being as creative as possible at, at the moment and previously there, there's always something happening on Isla that you can report on but when everything became curtailed not only was there nothing specific to write about there's no events happening but our advertising dropped to about two pages overnight so suddenly there was a lot more pages of editorial to fill in terms of the proportion of the paper um, it was it was interesting I, I learned quite a lot uh, not just about editing but about other stuff as well um, because you have to ask questions of people in order to create articles. And you had to assume that things would get better. Oh, yes, yes. They, they didn't get better quite as quickly as we thought they might. I mean, I, I do remember in uh, March or April of 2020 uh, working on the basis that everybody would be back in again in August. Uh, and it didn't actually happen that year until November. Uh, and then, of course, there was a, a second lockdown, which didn't affect us greatly but it did mean I mean the office was only open half a day um, mostly to allow to be able to cover staff cover and whatnot um, there was just two of us between from lockdown until first not lockdown so to speak there was only two of us that were effectively running the, the paper or running the business but you made it yes That's thankfully yes, yes yes well done so on island news travels fast People know almost immediately when the ferries aren't running, there's no bread at the co-op, or when the sheep are on the road at Ushkantui. So how do you decide what's worthy of publication in the ELIC? A lot of it depends on whether it's going to be common common knowledge. As you say, if the, I mean, there's, there's no point in... Ref- there's, there's no point in me... Uh, we're in a fortnightly cycle, so the next issue is out at, at the time of speaking, the next issue is out on the 18th of June. Well, if the ferry's cancelled today, there's not really a lot of point in putting that in an issue of the 18th of June. Um, it's just what what might impact people. I mean, if there, there, there's always, you can go way back to the 1970s and you'll read almost the same articles about ferries then as you do now. It's, it's You can't avoid it. It's part of like island life, not just here. It must be the same up the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if, if there's a features or, or something ongoing that uh, impacts on the, on the ferries and people's ability to use them, then you're definitely going to cover it. But I would like to say it's down to experience as to deciding what, what goes in and what doesn't go in. I'm not sure I've been doing it long enough to, to say you, that. You can also cover some things in more detail that, you know, if it's, if oh, it's something really important and there's an official statement from someone, you can choose to well, that, that's the, that's the advantage to a certain extent of doing it the way I do it now. I, I, I work both weeks. So we've got like this week that we're on just now is a non-production week. Next week is a production week. But I come in both weeks. And it means that if I've got something today, for the sake of example, eh, I've got time to contact people to find out more about it. Press releases will tell you exactly what the people issuing them want you to know. Sometimes it's practical or necessary to ask questions as to why that's the case um, to find out a bit more about it otherwise it would just be 
you would just chuck. From my point of view and, and my predecessor, Callum Murray, the press release was the starting point rather than the end point. You don't just take a press release and print it. Fair enough, if, if the majority of it is, if, if you're not going to improve upon it in any particular way, then by and large, that's going to happen. But in the majority of cases, uh, you, that's your starting point. So how are you going to, um, how are you going to look at this? What angle are you taking on it? Because uh, we have to be the part of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A, the restrictions, if you like, on, on the editors are, here are the, gui the guidelines, that's the word I was looking for, guidelines as to what we do and what we don't do. So you, you've not to be political, you've not to be prejudiced or biased in any particular way. So if you've got a press release from one of the distilleries, for the sake of example, they're going to be praising that to the hilt. Uh, they're also going to, because it's a generic press release, it's also going to tell you about the uh, the Isle of Isla off the west coast of Scotland, a two-hour ferry. Well, we all know that anyway, so that stuff all comes out. But you're going to have to try and put it in, or I'm going to have to try and put it in, as a, a bit more neutral, rather than saying this is the most amazing expression of whatever distillery you've ever seen. Um, that would come out. And you're not mentioning names today? No, no. <laughs> So in, in terms of not being political and being, you know, trying to remain neutral, how do you deal with uh, letters to the, to the editor? Letters to the editor, that's fair enough. That's kind of fair game because those are um, expressly the points of view of the people who have written in. Uh, if you're going to invite people to write letters to the Elich, you can't then sit and say, well, I'm not going to put that in because I don't like... I, I, if it's a letter about just, you know, I don't like that whiskey or I don't like football, so that's not whatever... Because I think it's fairly clear that in the letters column, those letters are not necessarily the opinions of, of the paper. Uh, the, the news, the ELIC was originally set up by the CVS as a mouthpiece or a, a, an open forum for the, the residents of Isla and Jura in order to be able to discuss things. And if you're going to start criticising or, or changing things in that respect. So generally, the only reason you would edit an edit, uh, edit a letter would be for length you know there's a, a we we tend to stick to 20 pages per issue uh, ideally more than half of that should be editorial but if the letters are long enough and are going to start taking up two two and a half pages then it, it becomes necessary to to edit certain things but i think we generally suggest about 400 words as a maximum most letters are shorter than that. Right. Occasionally, you have to put something in that's because it's if you edited it, it would it would change what it was what it was saying. But uh, no, I think most people would accept the fact that if it's in the letters column, it's not necessarily my opinion. And and you publish most letters, or do you have letters that? Very rarely, um, any letter that comes in that's that's getting at somebody in particular, um, it's all very well to criticise the leader of the council or your local councillor because effectively they've put their heads above the parapet and to a certain extent have to accept that. But if there's letters coming in getting at somebody or some organisation um, simply because that person had a poor um, result from something. We have had letters in complaining about accommodation, not recently, um, but people who maybe stayed in a hotel here or stayed in self-catering and sent in letters, well, you should take, <coughs> excuse me, take that up with with them. That's not that's not our remit. Not general interest. No, not really. I mean, it's it's a specific. But if somebody was putting in, if somebody made a personal attack 
on one of the councillors, for instance, then we would either contact them to ask them to reconsider or simply take that out because that's not, you know, it's all very well criticising a councillor for not doing what you figure they should have been doing, but criticising them on a personal basis, nah, it's not, no. not helpful. And at the other end of the spectrum, I love the Christmas issues where you've got lots of greetings. Yes, that's been, that's been a long-standing long trend. Yeah, that's been going for quite a while. And probably more so, I think it's increased of late um, because it's become so expensive to send cards. Uh, and somehow somehow sending like an e-card um, always looks like the easy way. <laughs> um, but with the cost of postage going up and so on and so forth and, and the number of folk that you would perhaps send them to, so you're saying the Elix rates are very reasonable? I would think they probably are, yeah. That's, I would always say that anyway. But yeah, I, I, obviously it is. I, say it's, it, I think it's increased. I would need to go back a few years and check as to whether we get more of these now than we used to. Um, but I think it still seems quite popular. I mean, yeah. we, we always offer it. It's not a, Nobody's forced to take, uh, take part and you, in that. There's an extra issue in December. Yeah, we, we, yeah. what we do there is that because we're fortnightly, quite depending on, on how the issues pan out, it means that you could be bringing out uh, an issue of the paper on, shall we say, 27th of December. Well, nobody's open to buy it. None of the people that you deal with, like council offices and whatnot, are open. Uh, so you'd be producing a newspaper with very little content for nobody who wants to... Plus... If, if we do three issues back to back, um, it maximises the advertising. You always have to look at the commercial aspect as well as the, uh, the editorial aspect. Um, that uh, It gives people who, businesses locally that want to advertise their Christmas events or Christmas whatever, um, it gives them an, an extra one to, to do right, that. Right. So generally it's been reasonably successful. There was an editor who shall remain nameless from way back in the 90s who insisted that we stick to the two weekly thing and then she would go on holiday <coughs> during the the Christmas holidays and I would usually have to fill in from that and I think one year we actually resorted to printing the jokes that we got in the crackers when we went out for Christmas lunch <laughs> because there was simply nothing happening but this nothing paper else. still had to come out. Yeah. So you mentioned the commercial aspect of things. Is you like in a fairly decent shape or... Do things could, have to change? It could always be in better shape. I'm not sure. It's very difficult to increase your circulation to any degree. I mean, that's both the, the plus point and the negative point, is that you effectively are covering Island Jura, and if you're not interested in Island Jura, or the news is not to do with Island Jura, then you, you don't have another market. Uh, I think we probably sell as many print copies as we can. I don't think that's, unless the population of Isla substantially increases, I don't see that happening. Um, we do quite a number of uh, PDF subscriptions, which is the, the digital one. So that, that goes out a day earlier just through practicalities. Plus, because we don't have to print it, that's in colour. Um, we did look into colour printing well, a good number of years ago, but it costs a lot more because we don't really print enough to take a take account of uh, economies of scale. You know, if you're, I think it's on paper from the Outer Hebrides, I think they do about ten or 12,000 copies. Well, you can hit a, a reasonable um, econ economy of scale at that 
we're really only printing about at best maybe 1500 copies so if we did that in color it would cost us a lot more to do it and the only people that could pay for that either put the cover price up quite substantially or increase the advertising price but we couldn't honestly think of anybody who currently advertises with us that would gain anything by advertising in color right right um so practically we just stick to um, unless the price of color printing comes down quite substantially i don't see that changing no no well i hope you're you're set for maybe not 59 more years but uh a while yet yeah well it's it's um, it's done well till i think i think or we all think that it's the longest serving community newspaper in scotland although i haven't done any drastic research to find out if that's the case but we think it is and and most of the time there is a lot of news yes a lot of things happening yeah it's even even for me it's a surprise to figure out um not that it was the case during the the pandemic but sometimes at the moment it's coming down to hard choices what what do i take out and what do i put in ideally like the festival issue of late we moved from 20 pages up to 24 because the advertising was quite substantial that's kind of a one-off but generally try to stick to 20 pages because if we go to 24 we because we print on a3 we have to go up in fours so if we go to 24 we're running an extra 1500 sheets of paper for which we're not gaining any more revenue unless the advertising justifies it uh, otherwise you may be getting an extra three pages of editorial but you're not you're still the cover price is still only 150 so it's a kind of balancing point for that i'm sure it's the same for lots of um, community yeah. and local newspapers sounds as though you're really balancing the commercial and the editorial aspects of your that, uh-huh. you, it's a necessity yes. you, you can't I mean it would uh, one of the previous editors thought it would be a great idea to go up to 32 pages um, just to accommodate the, the layouts and the way that he wanted to portray the news but we wouldn't have get, aside from anything else it, w- it would have increased the, the cost of printing the paper but it also meant we went over the, the weight limit for the, the postal versions so it would have cost us more in postage to send them out right. so right. things like that don't I mean it'd be nice you know I'd sometimes doing a I don't know that we'd do a 32 pager but sometimes it'd be nice to be able to increase but it, I think <laughs> I'm hoping fingers crossed that uh, by sticking to 20 pages you get a better edited newspaper than you would if uh, there was the freedom of you know yes. I could go to whatever I liked. Uh, Those extra pages don't they don't come for free in any way. No, no, no more no, time no, to no, edit. Anyway, I say it, it's. I mean, I'm not a great one with figures, but uh, there's there's folk in the office who are much better at that than I am. But you do have to always bear in mind that this has to because we don't get funding as such. We get occasional funding for specific reasons, but we don't have any funding to run the paper. So we're entirely responsible. Our money's made from the cover sales, cover price, and advertising. Um, so that always has to be balanced off uh, against how much you're going to write. So everyone listening out there, you heard it from, from Brian. We look forward to the next issue of the ILA coming out soon, available to purchase on ILA or worldwide via PDF subscriptions. Uh, but we're not done quite yet. I know you said you're working both weeks, uh, so you're working pretty much full time at the ELIC, yes. but do you have other things that keep you busy uh, when you're not in the ELIC office? Uh, you're a drummer? Yes. 
yes indeed um pretty much all day <laughs> the, the yeah the pipe band i've always played drums i started playing drums when i was 14 I've, I've played in bands my early 20s i did session work which was advertising doing advertising jingles um there's a radio station which i think still exists in Ayrshire called west sound is it west sound i think that's what it's called uh and when they started up they needed jingles and whatnot and it so happens one of the guys that i played with had connections there so we used to do quite a lot of advertising jingles for that um and i did effectively anything for about two maybe two to three years that was more or less how i earned my living was was playing drums um and then i opted to, well the the uh, people that are into music will perhaps remember at the beginning of the 80s there was a machine uh, invented by Roger Lynn called the Lynn drum which was a digital electronic drum and that was brought out and you then got something very similar built into keyboards and uh, very quickly bookings for bands disappeared and they would uh, book a keyboard player with a drum machine uh, I, of course, would being a drummer, I would, of course, say that these things can't possibly compare to a real drummer, but it turns out that after maybe two or three years, a lot of people agreed with that. The problem being that a lot of the gigs had then disappeared, so I had to find, find other ways of earning a living rather than doing the drumming. So. Right. And uh, can't finish this interview without talking about cycling. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's probably started, more of it. You should have started with that. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit. Um, when I moved over here, I, d I didn't own a car I, and I got everywhere. I, I moved here to be an artist. I was going to do, well, in fact, I did do paintings for about two or three years. I did paintings and held exhibitions and whatnot. Um, but it becomes very difficult to, or it becomes very hard financially to continue doing that. But uh, in order to get around the island to do drawings and whatnot, I had a bicycle and I just cycled everywhere and I did that for years and years and I'm quite happy to, to cycle everywhere I generally fairly slowly but at one point in order to test my mechanical skills I actually built a, a well what you would call a racing bike um, I bought the frame I bought the components I got the spokes I built the wheels I put the whole thing together uh, and it was quite fun because it was a lot faster than riding around in a mountain bike mountain bikes are fine for riding around mountains or through gloopy stuff but riding on the road it's a bit like riding through treacle. So I had built that. and uh, But for years and years, I just I was up until must be mid-90s, I was about the only cyclist. The, the only person, maybe not the only cyclist, but the only person that like, rode all these kind of distances and whatnot. Um, and gradually we managed to get one or two others in. But then as the nature of this island is, people move away. And by the end of the 90s, I was back to being the only one <laughs> cycling again. But we've got, there's a, there's a few of us doing it now. It's still not. I mean, it, it, it's always of great concern that they can have like masters swimming or something and get about 32 people to turn up, whereas we struggle to get four people to go out cycling. I'm presuming it's because it looks like hard work. Well, the, the name Rider the Falling Rain perhaps doesn't attract. Well, yeah, that, that's one of these. That, that's an excellent marketing thing. But that's that. more more than four people turn up. Oh, right? yes, yes. That, that started... I used to get an American magazine called Bicycling and... At this time of year, every single year, there was always an article about how to ride your first century, which is 100 miles, which is the Americans referred to it. Uh, and I had never done that, so I thought I would give it a try. 
So I did that the first time really badly. I had, my wife had to help me in the steps at the back after I'd done that. I, but figured, well, this is probably a rite of passage. This is the sort of thing that you should do every year just to convince yourself that you can still do it. And I used to put wee pieces in the e-look saying, I'm going to be doing my 100-mile ride. If anybody would care to join me, I wouldn't mind the company for at least part of the way. And ironically enough, Tom Hunter, who currently owns the Port Charlotte stores, was one of the first ones to, to turn up. I used to start from the McTaggart Leisure Centre, uh, and Tom turned up. He was over, he's got um, family from here, and he was over for a while, so he decided to join me. Um, and we figured after a while, the, the sportive market in, in the UK and worldwide uh, the, these kind of rides that were you know 100 miles or so and so forth that market exploded really really quickly and a lot of people were getting their uh, entries returned so we thought well we've got this going it'd be quite nice if people joined in but we need to point out that we don't have timing chips we don't have free t-shirts we don't have marshals we don't have feed stops etc basically you're looking after yourself uh, and it turns out that that's quite a popular thing to do rather than do all the, the fully organised ones with closed roads, etc. And the first year we did it is that it rained from 10 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And one wag that I was riding with said, you really ought to call this the ride of the falling rain. Uh, that makes more sense if you're a cycle fanatic because the Tour of Lombardy, which tends to be held at the end of October every year, is known as the ride of the falling leaves. And that was where that part had come from. But it's a perfect advertising slogan. If it rains, then we told you. If it doesn't rain, well, that was a bonus. So you can't go wrong. And by planning in August, you're almost guaranteed rain. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that has happened more often than, than not. And if, and if you want to keep up with Brian's uh, cycling activities, you can follow him on the washing machine post. That's right. Yeah. You're having a problem with squeaky cleats at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that that that's happens from time to time. It's just at the weekend there started started squeaking. It, it takes it, noises on bicycles always seem to come from the bottom bracket. It doesn't matter what kind of bo bicycle you've got. That's where it sounds as if it's coming from. Very rarely is it coming from there. Uh, so I spent ages trying to figure out where this strange noise was coming from, but it turns out to be that the the cleats are squeaking on the inside of the pedals. Um, I've, funnily enough, I've had a few suggestions as to how that can be cured, so I'm going to start <laughs> trying some of them. Uh, well, good luck with that. And, we'll, and next time we'll spend more on the cycling than less on the Elix. Yeah, yeah. Elix seems yeah. to be running itself just fine. Uh, so, yes, it seems to be going all right. It's, it's. Um, I, I don't want to. I would hate to think I'm to, to feel overly confident, but generally speaking, on on Isla and probably other places, people will very rarely tell you what you're doing right, but they're sure as heck tell you what you're doing wrong. And there's been a, a great dearth of the latter, I'm pleased to oh, that's say. that's great. But people would notice if there was no more Elik. I think so. I think not, not just the paper, but I think the office itself. I mean, we do the like passport photographs. That's, yep. as far as I'm aware, the only place you can get passport photos done on here. Plus all the printing, the, with the amount of building that's going on around here at the moment, the number of people that have brought in plans to get printed out and and lots of copies of them and whatnot. Yeah, it, I think it's probably, the, and it's probably quite right to an extent that it, it is taken for granted that, it, that it's there, but I think if it disappeared, you'd suddenly notice. Definitely. Well, we wish you best of luck with the Elik. Thank you. And all your other ventures, and thank you again for spending time with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you.